Uh, Father, we would like to pray first and ask you for your blessing that as we go through your word, we pay attention to the detail, what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, how we should influence others, the things that we should say, the kind of parents we should be and grandparents and husbands and wives. We know that you possess all wisdom, and we would ask that you would share that with us as you do through your word, but mostly that we would be able to remember it, to recall it to mind, and helping us to stay focused on these things as we see the world deteriorating. But we know that your return is imminent when we see these things going bad on a worldwide scale. So, Father, help us. Help us apprehend the truth, make it our own, share it with others. As we go through your word in Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And this is where we left off last week, and Paul is referring Timothy to keep himself in a state where he is not, quote-unquote, defiled. But then verse 23 He says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So in context, it would seem that young Timothy was probably a teetotaler. He wasn't drinking any wine whatsoever, no alcohol whatsoever. And out of his desire probably to maintain purity, he was refraining from drinking some wine that might have been helpful for his weak constitution, which was susceptible to illness. Now, if you would look at Timothy, chances are he was probably a gangly youth, thin, maybe a little pale. He was often sick, probably some stomach issues going on, some intestinal discomfort. Who knows what that might have been? But that's how Paul describes him, especially when he says, your frequent illnesses. And so Timothy... He might have incorrectly concluded that if he drank a little wine, he might make himself unclean if he drank that wine. And that's why it follows right after, keep yourself pure, and then he says, stop drinking only water. So in context, there seems to be a connection there. And Paul, as an apostle, is letting Timothy know that if he drank a little, quote, little wine, it would not make him unclean. And we have all kinds of erroneous doctrines that we hold to in our mind. For instance, uh, there are a couple of denominations that would say, you cannot dance. No matter what the case is, you cannot dance. When I've gone to weddings before uh, and I've shaken a leg out there, people want to get a uh, cell phone camera and video me dancing. They, they want to make sure that if they ever need incriminating evidence, they can use it, you know, out there, take pictures, something like that. But there are those who would say you cannot dance at all. There are those, especially the cults, that would say no caffeine whatsoever, no Pepsi, no Coke, no tea, no coffee. The Mormons are uh, definitely into that. They, they think it's bad for you. There are prohibitions, even though scriptures does not say thou shalt not have caffeine. Uh, there is that ability. You can have caffeine. Some people would say, uh, gambling is a sin. Well, I'm not going to say you should gamble. There's no way, but to point at somebody and say, well, it says in first speculations, thou shalt not gamble at the local casino. Uh, we can't do that. We can't go beyond what is written imposing all these restrictions or chewing tobacco. If somebody wanted to chew tobacco, is, is it a terrible habit? Yes, it's a terrible habit. But what kind of terrible habits do we all have? And, and you can just start lining up all the different things that you think you should not participate in because it makes you unclean. And if you participate and you think it makes you unclean, then you should not participate in those things. Going to movies. I know that several people think that movies are of the devil or rock and roll music. You know, when I was younger, I didn't like a lot of rock and roll music. And as I'm older, I listen to a plethora uh, of different kinds of music. I, I like all kinds of music. I always have. And, you know, I'll, I'll go through some of the old rock and roll stuff and I'll think, 
So this is pretty good. Now, I don't know about some of the words and, and, and some of the intents of these singers, and you find out some of the real meanings of these rock and roll songs. You go, what is that refer? And, you know, it's, it's probably a good thing to remain away from some of that. But we say that these things are wrong. Even in the beginning of the church, we had this one particular guy that had a ministry exposing the satanic influence in rock and roll and that was his ministry that's what he did all the time and the bible doesn't say in second speculations thou shalt not listen to rock and roll and so you know we don't want to impose restrictions where no restrictions are imposed in scripture and if we do that, we're going to be on good footing. And if somebody says, you're not supposed to have any alcohol. Now, the person who never has any alcohol, God bless them. And if that's what they think they need to do to remain pure, God bless them in that effort. And they should continue in that and not be stumbled by it. <clears throat> but Paul here, he's making clear that you can have a little, and he says a little wine. And he qualifies it there. Now, when it comes to things that make you unclean, wine is not one of the things that make you unclean. Mark uh, chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. There Jesus is talking about what makes a person unclean. It is not that which goes in the body. It's what comes out of the body. In verse 14, it says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, with all this, the idea of alcohol, drunkenness is prohibited. There's two places in Scripture that say if you are a drunkard, you are not going to heaven. Now, defining a drunkard, I don't think it's hard to see who is filled to excess and can't even walk. Uh, maybe you've seen some of those videos of a person. I saw one video of a guy going into the liquor store to buy more beer, and he couldn't even open the door to the refrigerator. He, he kept on falling back, and nothing he could do, and he fell back into the aisle that was behind him, just completely drunk. It was just, it's wrong. So the person who is drunk or who practices getting drunk it says, do not be deceived in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10, and also Galatians 19 through 21. Drunkenness is a disqualifier for heaven. The person who says they're a believer and they're often full of alcohol, they're drunk all the time, they're deceiving themselves. They're not believers whatsoever. We know that Proverbs chapter 31 verses 4 through 7, and I'll read it to you here. It talks about strong drink and wine not being for kings. It says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, <clears throat> lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights give beer to those who are perishing wine to those who are in anguish let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more and, and with that somebody who is dying i don't care if they're given heroin i don't care what it is if they're dying and you know they're dying and they're in the throes of death Get them some Jim Bean. What, whatever you need to give to them to reduce the suffering, that's what this verse is saying. Now, if somebody wants to say, I'm dying, well, of course, it'll be about 40 years, but I'm dying and I need... No, that's the wrong application of this particular verse. If you know somebody is dying, just drug them up, help them make the transition from this life to the next life. Uh, I remember my father going through that. And they would give him drugs in order to reduce uh, the effects of dying. And that's what hospice is all about. And I think it is a godsend that we have these drugs to enable people not to suffer quite so much uh, when they are going into the next life. And so for kings, strong beer and drink could cloud their judgment and it's not good for them to have it. Also in the Old Testament, drink strong drink wine was not for priests when they were ministering in the tabernacle or the temple leviticus 10 8 says then the lord said to aaron you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go to the tent of meeting or you will die that's pretty straightforward you take a drink you're dead don't do it when you're ministering before the lord <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> and there are some teachers and i remember hearing at least two teachers 
say that there is no alcohol in the New Testament drink of wine uh, that people would receive. And I don't agree with that. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I think most of you know this story. This is the first miracle that Jesus performed. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, if you do the math, it's like 150 gallons plus or minus of wine that is going to be made here. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some, or excuse me, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. What if thought? Too much water to drink, too much grapefruit juice to drink. No, this means they were getting sauced. That's the word for it. They were getting sauced. But you have saved the best until now. Well, if the bad wine, quote, gets people sauced, what does the good wine do? The good wine tastes better, but it still has alcohol in it. And alcohol, back in the day, they, that was preferred over the water because water, you know, if you go backpacking the high Sierra, they tell you, take these water iodine pills with you and take your filters because there's Girardia in the water and you can get these stomach upsets and dysentery and all kinds of problems. Well, they had the same problems back then as well. And that's why they would drink wine. Even the children, if you go to Italy today, even the children are drinking wine at the table. And so we know also it's for medicinal. We've already covered that in 1 Timothy 5.23. But God even says that wine is a blessing. In Psalm 104, verse 14, he says, He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. Now, God says wine's a blessing. He created it. But if it's used in excess or somebody gets drunk, it's a curse. And and so we want to make sure we don't go beyond what is written to mislead people and say, well, the wine had no alcoholic content. That is not true. Now, there were diluted wines, different strengths of wines. I remember going to Israel. I think it was in Betshion. They had this place where visitors would come in and they would have these vats. And these vats would hold different strengths of wine or different kinds of wine. And some could be watered down and some could be at full strength. But the point was it was part of their culture. The, the, the point for us is do not abuse it. If you don't think you need it, God bless you for that. Stick on it. But let's not go beyond what is written and say you ought not to drink. And by extension, you ought not to see movies. And you ought not to smoke. And you ought not to dance. And you ought not to do all of You ought to wear a tie to church. You should have a suit. And all of these different things. We want to make sure we're not imposing that would, which would restrict people's freedoms. Now going on. Verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious reaching the place of judgment ahead of them and the sins of others trail behind them in the same way good deeds are obvious even to those that are not cannot be hidden so whatever is done as far as a good work is concerned if somebody tries to do it in secret eventually it will come out and what this is referring to is those who would become elders that there is supposed to be this circumspection which is used this investigation when it comes to laying hands on somebody as you just read in verse 22 that some sins are obvious and those people who have sins like that they should not be installed as elders and then the sins that are not so obvious they'll be taken care of in the judgment and same thing with good deeds 
Many good deeds, they're obvious, but some aren't, and they will be rewarded at the judgment as well. And to keep in mind, just as a parenthetical thought, there are two judgments which we will witness, one we will participate in as believers, and the other, uh, some believers and mostly unbelievers will participate in. The first one is the Bema Seat, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is where we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That is the judgment of believers. That is the church judgment. Anybody who is a Christian, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ that goes in the rapture, there will be a time where reward will be given. Just like in the Olympics, they had the different tiers in the Olympics. You had the gold, you had the silver, and you have the bronze. You are going to be rewarded at that time according to what you have done in the body. First Corinthians chapter 3 also tells us that we might suffer loss of reward for the motivations for which we have done works. If we have done works in order to get accolades or praises from people, well, we're probably not going to obtain a reward for that. So we can lose reward by what we do, but all of us will be rewarded to some degree. And we know that there are several uh, crowns listed in Scripture. The crown of glory would be one of them. Uh, Those who save souls, uh, that is a crown for Uh, those who are evangelists, that type of thing. So we're going to be rewarded. Then there's the great white throne judgment. And this is going to be everybody from Adam and Eve all the way to the end of the tribulation period. And, (coughs) excuse me, all the way to the end of the millennium. It's going to be all the way at the end of history. This is when Second Peter tells us, chapter 3, that the earth is going to be destroyed and everything in the universe is going to be destroyed with a fervent heat. And all that's going to be left is the judgment right then. And this is before the new heaven and the new earth. So everybody that has ever lived that is not part of the church or part of Israel is going to be resurrected. And those people, especially during the millennium, that were saved but also died. And remember, people are going to live a long time in the millennium. You could be 300 years old and, oh, you're dying of old age at 300 years old or 600 years old. You could be that old and you could be a believer. And you're going to be resurrected if you die during that time or anyone who's there. If they die during that time, they will be resurrected and they will get the reward if their name is written in the book of life. In uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, I'm going to read this for you. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which was or which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into <clears throat> excuse me, the lake of fire. So these are the judgments, and they are final, and they are everlasting. Daniel 12.2 and Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, both tell us that life will be eternal, and so will punishment or everlasting contempt. They will both be eternal there are those like the seventh-day adventists that say no there's no continuing hell also the jehovah witnesses say that hell doesn't last forever on the contrary hell lasts forever and the people there are conscious and they have regret forever and the way that we avoid that of course we know is by receiving jesus christ as our lord and savior romans 10 9 and 10 and acts chapter 16 verses 30 and 31 confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And if we do that, and we do that sincerely, we're saved, and we don't have that judgment of everlasting contempt or everlasting punishment. Now, going on into chapter 6. Chapter 6 here deals with slavery or slaves and masters. To apply this to us today in the United States, in our culture we would transfer this to employers and employees. This is not the case with the rest of the world. Slavery is more rampant today than it was back in the time of Christ. There are more slaves today, more masters today throughout the rest of the world 
than there ever has been in any point in history. But for us, this applies to us in the context of employers and employees. It says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, excuse me, they are to serve them even better because, pardon me, I think I have a toad in my throat or something. Get it out of there. Because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. So he's telling a pastor in the church, this is how employees and employers are supposed to act. Now, Paul has a lot to say about this. Paul not only tells us about this here in Timothy, but he explains it in Ephesians and in Colossians, and there's other places in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, in Deuteronomy. It tells us how we're to act as employers and employees. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I taught the youth about this because I went to my granddaughter's graduation at Foothills, and there was, a, I think his name is Mr. McDonald. He gave a uh, message to the kids, you know, to send them off, and he gave them like three points. And his first point was, get a job is what he told them. And everybody kind of laughed, but that's really what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to grow up and get a job and get on their own and make their way in life. And so employees, I'm going to start with them first. Who was the first employee? It was Adam. Adam was the first employee. He worked for God. God gave him a task to do, and he was, of all things, a gardener. Praise the Lord for gardeners. You know, it's great that they would be out there doing the first job of all of history. Some people have said, no, prostitution was the oldest job in the history of the world. No, it was gardening. Gardening is the oldest one. And in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 15, in several different versions... Adam was told by God to work it and care for it or dress it and keep it or till it and guard it or tend it and care for it. That's what he is supposed to do. He's supposed to get his hands in the dirt. And what would he do exactly? Would he, oh, radishes, let's grow some more radishes. Is that what he did? Or did he prune some of the trees in the garden? Is that what he did? Or did he go around picking fruit and raking up leaves? Did he make a rake? What was he doing exactly? I don't think he had to put in irrigation. He didn't have to count for flow and gallons per minute, all of that, because it was watered from the earth, and it was a lush paradise there. I don't know exactly what he did in the garden, but he did something. He tended it. He tilled it. He, he took care of the plants that were there. So that was the first thing that Adam was told to do after he had his wife and You know, he said, oh, woman, is what he said. And then he had to go to work. He had the woman first, and then he goes to work. Now, he doesn't have to provide for his wife because God is providing everything for the two of them, but he still gave him a task. And so with that, we keep in mind, God gives us something to do. He has gifted us in some way. Now, I, I used to tell my daughters this, but one of my daughters in particular, she'd get a little upset. And because it was not politically correct. And what I would tell her was, you know, different races seem to be gifted for different things. And I've mentioned this before, but which race do you think is really good at science and math, STEM, the science, technology, you know, all of those things? Which race do you think is really built for that? Seems like the Asian race. Uh, they have a propensity. If you go out to USD, if you go to uh, the coastal northern county up there, there are a lot of Asians that live up there. God bless them. If they have that ability, that's good. That's where the science and tech uh, is located. That's the hub for it, the technology, the, you know, the, the new science and genetics and all of that. It's located up in that area, and there are a lot of Asians that do that. They have that mind for that there are like for instance blacks blacks are really good at sports in particular 
basketball and football. They are really adept because of their physiology, the way God has made them. They are just better at it than whites or Asians or Eskimos or Mongolians or anyone else. And so, you know, you might say, well, what are Irish good for? Or what are uh, whites in general, Europeans, what are they good for? God knows which ones have a particular bent. Even in scripture, we know that there were those who were gifted in building things and metallurgy and those who were good in stringed instruments and making music. And, And so there are particular groups that are good for particular things, just like the body of Christ. We all have our particular Giftings, whatever they are, and their spiritual gifts, which are given to us. And so with respect to our employers and what we do, we should find what suits us and do that. If it doesn't suit you, find what does and get involved in that particular task. Now, we are to work with sincerity and respect our employers. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. And so if you're working for somebody, you look at them and you go, that's Christ. If that's Christ, how do you submit to them? Well, how do you submit to Christ anyhow? In everything. Well, what if they ask you to do a job that is not so pleasant? Well, you're supposed to say, I'm here. Sign me up. That's what I'll do because I'm working for Christ. I'm not working for that particular person. And having full disclosure, I have been both an employee and an employer. I have been both. I've had several jobs as an employee and I've been an employer Uh, For a long time, I'm not currently an employer, but I have a perspective of both sides here. One of the things I've found astonishing is when I had a lot of employees, the employees had this attitude of the boss always has tons of money just packed away. It's He probably has stacks of it in a safe somewhere, just keeping it, and he's keeping it away from the employees and just doesn't want to give it to the employees, only wants to pay them this pittance, this just little amount. And obviously the employees have no idea the cost of running a business, especially in California and what the state has imposed on everybody, all the regulations that are there, all the cost and the time involved in doing that. It's just absurd. If that could ever be rolled back, that would be great. But uh, secondly, work while being an example and a blessing to your employer. Teach slaves in Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 to be subject to their masters in some things excuse me, in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Now, there might be, well, I could use some paper clips at home, some pens, some pencils, some paper, some uh, whatever, minutes on the time clock. I can fudge on that. It's okay. By the way, that is considered stealing is what that is. I can remember uh, going through some training as an employer and they said, and if employee, and this was 30 years ago, if an employee wastes five minutes a day, every day that they're working in a 40 hour week, by the time it gets to the end of the year, he has stolen $500. That was 30 years ago. If you waste five minutes. If you go and take a break in the state of California, you're supposed to have a break at 10 o'clock and at 2 o'clock, 10 minutes. If you work an eight-hour shift, 30 minutes for lunch minimum. And if you do that, that's great. Well, how about if it's 12-minute break two times a day or 15-minute break two times a day? You're actually stealing from the employer. And if the employer is Christ, you're stealing from Christ. And Christ says, don't do that. When it hits 10 minutes, you're supposed to be doing whatever it is you're supposed to be doing in your job. And we're, <coughs> we're supposed to do this <clears throat> to be a blessing to the employer and not talk back to them. Have you ever heard somebody talk back to their employer? Uh, well, <clears throat> I've heard that. 
I've heard people talk back to me as an employer. And of course, uh, I just stood there as a stoic individual and did not respond as I should and never gotten in an arguing match with them going back and forth. And we're not supposed to do that. The servant of the Lord is not to quarrel. But they are also, the employees are not supposed to steal. And whether it's time or, I remember working as a waiter, a busboy, a waiter, a dishwasher. I've done all of that. I was a dishwasher when I proposed to Patty. She must really been in love uh, to marry me at that time. But I have seen people just grab the food and just start eating it in a restaurant you are stealing if you're not paying for it if they don't give you that you're stealing if you're not paying for it and of course one of the restaurants that i worked for they went under as a result of that the employees were taken off the profits also thirdly work well even under harsh conditions now remember this is in the time of slavery, First Peter chapter twelve or two, verse eighteen through twenty-one says, "Slaves, be reverent, or in reverent fear of God. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only when to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering, because you are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Now, hopefully, no employees are getting beaten by their employers." But it says, if you suffer for doing good and you are, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. <clears throat> now, if somebody is really harsh as an employer, the employer is just being stupid. That's not how you should treat your employers or employees. You should treat them how you would want to be treated. Remember the golden rule out of Matthew. That's how we're supposed to operate. In this particular case, these slaves had no choice to get out from underneath their employer. But people like us in our culture, in our day and age, we have the choice. We can just quit. We give our notice, say, we're out of here. Maybe it's been nice, maybe it hasn't, but you're able to leave. Back then it wasn't. Some people, they need their jobs and they hold on to their jobs and they suffer under that, under the harsh treatment of some employers. But it's not supposed to be that way. But this direction is for the employers who feel they're being mistreated. And if they feel they still need their job and they cannot quit for whatever reason, especially like if you're in the military, you could have somebody that is your superior mistreating you in some way. And I'm not talking about anything that's immoral or illegal. I mean, they're just hard to be under. And God says, bear up under that. And we are supposed to work hard 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure it. In Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us good, do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. If you're working for somebody who's a believer, you're supposed to work hard for them. Not only hard, but even doubly hard for them. They're a co-heir of Christ with you. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, it talks about this, that we are to work hard in in the rest of the scripture, work hard with your own hands. Don't be a slouch. Don't be lazy. Uh, Sixth point here, work with satisfaction and contentment. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13 says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. For everyone or that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift from God. If you are working somewhere where you love what you do, that is a gift from God. And you can pray for that, that if you're not satisfied in your work, may God either give you the satisfaction in your work, or may he transfer you somewhere else. I remember when I started in my secular profession of gardening, my father used to do it and I hated it. I hated it with a passion. He would set us out there, these banks, they would seem to go for 60 feet up and he'd go weed the whole bank and it would go for 200 feet and it'd be filled with weeds. And I'd look at that and go, no. And yeah, I get to weed the whole thing and there'd be stinging nettles up there and just all kinds of problems. And I can remember never going to do this the rest of my life I'm going to school and just talking under my breath the whole time and then God transformed my heart 
in doing that, and I get to go now like, wait, they're mine, and I get to take care of them, I get rid of them, and look how good at all the order. God is a God of order, and it looks great. But I remember I hated it. I just despised it. I, I remember my conversations with myself. But God has the ability to change our hearts in that because I was destined to go into that particular field and it's okay and I love it just like I, I love doing what I do in the church and, and it's great. So we want to find satisfaction and contentment. It is a real gift from God. Seek after that. And we are, by the way, commanded to work. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now I've talked to you about this before. If somebody is refusing to work and they come to you and they keep on wanting to soak off of you, should you give them food continually? Should you give them money continually? My only exhortation is do not let them die, but let them get thin. That, that would be my exhortation to you uh, because a man's stomach is what motivates him. If somebody is hungry, it will drive them forward. If you're constantly taking care of them, they lose all motivation to do the work that they have been called to do, whether secular or whether Christian. We are all called to do something. <clears throat> and then we are to do the very best job that we can, Colossians 3, verses 23 through 25. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Uh, to give an example, when we did the roof here at the church, the house was built in 1925. I don't know if that was the original roof on there, but there was a wood shake underneath and then on top of that were two asphalt shingle layers on top of that <clears throat> and as you pulled them apart they would come off in little pieces and and the nails there were what would you say about a million nails up there on that roof and you had to pull out each one and <clears throat> the the type of boards that were up there there were spaces where uh, things could fall through to the insulation you could even fall through if you weren't careful and just pulling off all that stuff and i noticed that as we were pulling off the wood shingles that were up there there was no tar paper underneath and the tar paper is actually the roof that's what the roof is the wood shingles protect that from deteriorating but there was none of that if you did that today now if that was done in 1925 that may have been the case okay but today if you did that that would be neglecting your responsibility. That would be a bad employer, your employee. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not working to the best of your ability to make sure that the house is protected when the new roof goes on. It's that underlayment that is the good roof. Same thing when you do your work. Do you skip over things? Oh, I don't need to do that. Somebody else can do that. The Lord wants us to focus Stay focused, just like the goat, you know, and the guys out there hunting. We want to stay focused so we don't harm others in what we do and how we act in a particular job that we're in. <clears throat> so stay focused, do the very best job that you can. And also, do not be lazy. Now, I asked the youth this. Have you guys ever taken a mouthful of vinegar and decided to swallow it? How does that taste? How does that work on your mouth? Is that good? As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. Have you ever been to a camp out and there's a fire that's going and you're right next to the fire and then all the smoke comes into your eyes? You like that, don't you? Well, that's what a lazy person is like to the one who sends him to do the work. Smoke to the eyes or vinegar to the teeth. Uh, Proverbs 10 verse 26 in another version, it says, Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes. And, and so we want to make sure we're not being caustic to our employers when we're working. Like, I've got to send somebody else out to do this. What are you doing? You're killing me here, Holmes. You know, just make sure you're doing the job correctly. Don't be lazy and work hard. Uh, 10, <clears throat> we are not working for man. 
or for woman, but for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, so that you know we'll receive the reward. And I just gave you this verse. <clears throat> and there are reasons that we should be employed. I have three of them here under the 11th point. To share with others who are in need, Ephesians 4.28. Uh, it says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others in need. So we're supposed to have a job so that we can save up possessions and money so that we can have something to share with those who are truly in need. And also so that we will not be a burden or dependent on others. First Thessalonians 2.9, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Now, he was doing it for the sake of the gospel. But we also don't want to be soakers off of people. <clears throat> Classic soaker that is being revered today, Karl Marx. The guy was a slime ball. I, I don't know how else to say it. The man, I think, was demonically possessed. He soaked off of everybody. He was filthy. He was a terrible human being. And I don't mind saying that if you go through any of his biographies that have been written about him, he was a terrible individual. Same thing with a lot of these philosophers that came before him and after him. They were just terrible individuals, usually soaking off of people, not giving care to their own children, allowing them to die. Just a terrible condition that they were in. And they definitely took advantage of their particular positions. <clears throat> and also so that we might earn respect. If you work hard, people are going to respect you for working hard. If you're lazy, if you do a bad job, people will have no respect for you. And the reason that we want people to have respect for us, <clears throat> so they look at us and they say, why are you being the way you are? It's because of Jesus Christ. Then you get a chance to be a witness. <clears throat> the 12th point here. What happens if you have a family and you choose not to work? The Bible has something to say about that individual. 1 Timothy 5.8, we've already covered it. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied to faith and worse than an unbeliever. An unbeliever is judged and sent to the lake of fire. <clears throat> that person who is a believer, claims to be a believer, and does not provide for his household, especially his immediate family, is worse than an unbeliever. We are not to take our responsibility and cast it to the side when it comes to taking care of our family and our children and whether the children are in our own household or not <clears throat> and i talked about being lazy doing bad work but that is another point here do not do shoddy or bad work proverbs eighteen nine says the one who is slack in his work is brother to the one who destroys so make sure that you are diligent in whatever task you are involved in paying attention learning how to do it well Number 14, if you want to be a prosperous employee, Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. <clears throat> I know of several people, and, and I have worked in some of the high-end communities as well. And, and if you perfect your trade, if you have a trade or if it's an office job, if you perfect that, if you're an attorney or a CPA or whatever it might be, if you perfect what you do, people of worth, so to speak, I'm talking monetarily, I'm not talking character-wise, they will seek you out. They will want to find who you are. They will recompense you for your work and sometimes handsomely. And I knew this one particular electrician in the past. He started working up in Rancho Santa Fe. <clears throat> he was in high demand up there. And one of the people that was up there, a woman who hired him, told him, Honey, you're not charging enough. And telling him he needed to charge more because he was so good at what he did and he was in such high demand. <clears throat> and so if, if you are good in what you do, you will prosper and you will serve before kings. You will be the best if you're serving before kings. So be good, be trained, be skilled in your job. 15, when you work, you should seek to glorify God in all you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
Number 16, pray and trust that God is guiding you in your life's work. In Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. And what this means is, if you're doing something and you say, Lord, I'm committing this work to you, he will either help you perfect that particular job as you turn to him and ask for his blessing, or he will start to lead you in another direction. I remember when I got saved, uh, I was heading on a particular direction. The first thing I wanted to do was be a, a F-14 fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to do, but I was disqualified because of a hearing problem in my left ear. And so they wanted to sign me up for Marines and Sergeant Gustafson. And I said, nope, I'm not doing the Marines. I I want to be a pilot. And they said, well, you can fly U-2 missions over Russia. And I said, no, that's not what I want to do exactly. And so I didn't know exactly where I was going to head after that. So I thought, well, you have to have kind of an engineering mind or background, stuff like that. So I said, well, I'm a civil engineer. I'll go there. I hated it. I hated with a passion sitting for hours and hours at the desk and just studying all that stuff. I wanted to do both. I wanted book work and I wanted outside. I wanted both. And as I was praying to God after I got saved, he kind of nudged me in that direction. He, he put me where I'm supposed to go. And all the people that I've met, even being here, is a result of me paying attention to God where I needed to go and what I needed to focus on. So pray and trust God that he's guiding you in your life's work. It will have you come across people that you never thought possible, and then you're able to be a witness for them. I cannot tell you how many people I have witnessed to that I have worked for or that I have hired because God has placed me in the particular profession I am in. Now, those are the employees, 16 different points. And there's a lot to say in scripture about that. Well, what about employers? There's a lot to say, but not quite so much. If you become an employer, one of the big things in scripture is pay your employees. Uh, I know myself in our business, there have been times where we've gone without to make sure the employees had what's coming to them. I know a business here in Lakeside, They said the same thing, especially when we were in the lockdown. They had to decide whether or not they were going to pay themselves or their employees, and they paid their employees. And that's a command from God. you got to trust God. And there have been times where it's Friday morning, and you don't have the money. And you go, God, this is not my problem. This is your problem. And he solves the problem. Never missed a payroll trusting in God for that. And that's a, a common thing for employers. And there are several scriptures that deal with that. Muzzling the ox that treads the corn, First Timothy 5.18, also Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it and when it is in your power to act. And Leviticus 19.13, do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. So we are to pay if we're employers. And then treat your employees fairly. Again, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And masters, treat your slaves In the same way, do not threaten them since you know that it is he, that he is both their master and yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So we are to treat employees, if we are employers, just as we would want to be treated with, with what is fair and what is right. And an employer must not be harsh with their employees. You can use that same verse with that as well. So the final exhortations here are... Don't ever tell your employer that you're not going to do something that he asks you to do. And I want to qualify that. Nothing immoral, unethical, illegal, or put yourself in danger or anyone else in danger. You, you don't want to be involved in that. Be eager and always, or, and always be the first to volunteer. Raise your hand first. Don't be the one who says, no, everybody else can do it. Uh, be the first to arrive, the last to leave. Never be late if you can possibly help it. And remember that... Uh, Working and finding satisfaction in your work is a gift from God. He wants us to have that satisfaction. And uh, there was a song written about this. Never say, you can take this job. Never say that to your employer. You know what I'm talking about here. And as a general rule, the wealth you gain through work should be used to build relationships and to gain material possessions not only for yourself, but for others, and take on as much responsibility as you think you possibly can without overextending yourself. 
Do as much as you possibly can. Now, in closing out, the final application for this, have you noticed that employees, and remember, I was both an employee and an employer, the major attitude amongst employees today is rights. Employees' rights. Sick pay, maternity leave, vacation time, right to strike, right to health care, right to unionize. I mean, just all this stuff. I have rights. No, we have the right to serve Christ as believers. And there are certain things that we can push for if we can get them. That's great. I also was a member of a union, and I found it of little use to me when I was. Some people might find it very useful, and that's okay. But we should never seek as an employer or an employee to get the upper hand on our opposition, which we would consider either the employer or the employee, whichever one you were. Never seek to oh, get them over a barrel and they have to do this. Or we're going to go on strike and make your life miserable. Remember Ronald Reagan in the 80s? He fired a whole bunch of people. Who are those people? You guys remember? Air traffic controllers fired the whole lot of them because they wanted to shut down, really, the world air traffic system. And Ronald Reagan said, hey, no way, not on my watch. He brought the military and fired them all. Now, see, doing stuff like that, you're affecting so many other people's lives all because you want money. The love of money is the root of all evil. So being a faithful employee, that's what we should be. Love your employer as you would love yourself. And being a faithful employer, you love your employees as you would love yourself. And if you see fraud, theft, abuse, mismanagement, either with employees or employers, do not be silent. It may cost you your job, but the Lord knows. I think a lot of times we don't give God enough credit that he's moving us in a particular direction to be a witness. And sometimes we have to do things that are uncomfortable. And as a believer, we often worry if we might lose our job or might lose employees. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. That's in final encouragement to you. Stay focused. Let's pray. Father, help us to really pay attention if we are employees, how we are benefiting our employers. And if we are employers, how we might benefit the employees. And you gave this instruction through Paul to Timothy to teach the church. And we ask that we could take all this to heart. Remember it, Lord. Help us to be those good witnesses to our employers or to fellow employees that we can share the love of Christ, which you have given to us abundantly. In Jesus' name. And the church said, please stand.